Wall Street is full of corruption and it is baked in to every aspect of our society. MMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding at the macro level. In the 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This was written over a hundred years ago. This is The Rogue Scholar with Steve Grumbine. Where there is discord, may we bring harmony. Where there is error, may we bring truth. Where there is doubt, may we bring faith. And where there is despair, may we bring hope. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. You turn if you want to. <laughs> the ladies not for turning. Be pleased to inform Her Majesty that the white ensign flies alongside the Union Jack in South Georgia. God save the Queen. What happens next, what, Mr. Knott? Thank you very much. What's your reaction? rejoice at that news and congratulate our forces and the Marines. Of course, the chairman or the president of the commission, Mr. Delors, said at press conference the other day that he wanted the European Parliament to be the democratic body of the community. He wanted the commission to be the executive and he wanted the Council of Ministers to be the Senate. No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. All levels of income are better off than they were in 1979. But what the honorable member is saying is that he would rather the poor were poorer, provided the rich were less rich. That way you will never create the wealth for better social services as we have. And what a policy. Yes, he would rather have the poor poorer, provided the rich were less rich. That is a liberal policy. And we're very happy that we leave the United Kingdom in a very, very much better state than when we came here 11 and a half years ago. Folks, this is the queen of neoliberalism, Maggie Thatcher. And let me just state for the record that she had a male companion here in the United States in Ronnie Reagan. And what they did was absolutely atrocious. What they did was destroyed, or I shouldn't even say they destroyed. What they did was they went ahead and took the entire, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the entire neoliberal project and they put it on their shoulders and they said, we're going to take this to the finish line in that. She talked about how, how else can we have the money for the necessary services, the robust public services that we need without having the rich, without having the wealth created by the rich. There is no alternative is the neoliberal angle. And so what they do is they get you and our parents and our grandparents who are still voting, thank you very much, to believe that there is no alternative other than rich people and having rich people tax dollars. And there is no way of the government doing anything 
because the government requires rich people's money and bank money to do things because the government has no money of its own. It only has taxpayer dollars. This was not an accident. Maggie Thatcher was not a dumb woman. She was evil, but she wasn't dumb. And Ronald Reagan, for all the mocks and jokes, he was advised by people that knew the truth as well. Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher both advanced this concept that there was no such thing as public money, that there was no such thing as the ability to do anything without the rich. And so this goes to the extreme nature of what we're seeing today in neoliberal spaces. Now, many of y'all are wondering, why on earth don't we have Medicare for all today? Why on earth don't we have a Green New Deal? Why in the world did someone like Elizabeth Warren come out there and tell everyone, I love markets to my bones, I'm a capitalist to my bones, and then offer up a Green New Deal-like that was paid for through loans and bank loans and bank credit and selling green energy around the world as a way of financing a Green New Deal. Now, for those of you who understand modern monetary theory, you understand explicitly that this is a lie. You understand completely that it's a lie. But if you could only imagine this picture I'm about to paint for you, imagine being in a vast room or actually in a vast world where all you have is one single wall and it's directly in front of you. This one wall that's right in front of you, but the rest of it is wide open. You're facing the wall. And all you can see is the wall because there is no alternative. And if you were to turn to the left, you'd see that there's plenty of room over there. If you turn to your right, you'd see there's plenty of room over there. And if you did a 360, you'd realize that the wall is nothing. It's it's absolutely nothing. Behind you is this vast expanse of possibilities. Neoliberalism boiled things down to there is no alternative. And what they did was even more repulsive. And you'll see this in our back and forth duopoly between Republicans and Democrats. Plays out on the stage every day. What do they do? They say, here is this completely unacceptable solution. It's not a solution at all. People are going to die, but hey, we got to make tough choices. That's one. Or we have this other one that's like, hey, we've got to make really tough choices. It's going to suck for everybody, but we're going to say kind words to put it out there. Shit, we've got to vote for the Democrats. God bless you all. The Democrats have the answer. But they basically said the same exact thing, only slightly different, because really at the end of the day, they're both neoliberals. They're both neoconservatives, and they both have one master, and that's capital. Okay. So the veneer of a choice, the, the ruse of a choice, and I'm not talking about just the ruse of Democrat Republican. I'm talking about the ruse of there's only one alternative. We must raise taxes to pay for things. We must have rich people pay their fair share. We must cut the military to afford health care. We must. Now, mind you, some of these things we should probably do. 
like cut the military, but not to pay for health care, right? Because there is no shortage of money whatsoever. Money is created freely out of thin air, not sometimes. I was just talking to a coworker of mine, and if he's here, hey, Jeff. Um, I was just talking to a coworker a little bit ago and, and sort of explaining this concept of why I am so rabid about the concept of printing money, why I say never say printing money. And I want to be clear about this because it feeds into the Maggie Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, there is no alternative mindset, okay? If you believe that banks, private banks, print money, they just crank out money, stack it up on pallets, and then the government comes in and borrows a couple, you know, stacks of Benjamins out of there to pay for these things. If that's your concept of how this works, well, you're completely wrong. And it feeds the trope. It feeds the trope that we don't have money, that we can't do anything, that we need banks, we need loans, we need rich people, we need tax dollars, because without that, we will have pallets that are empty and we'll be out of money wherever will we find it, okay? So Maggie Thatcher, way back, coming off of the OPEC crisis, lauded their rescue. And let's be fair, for a little while, in the peak of neoliberalism, a lot of people made out really well. A lot of people really did. But there was an even larger amount of people that were being buried on the bottom. And moreover, the people kind of, we'll call them tweeners, for lack of a better term, they're not really middle class, because there's really only the oligarchs and then the rest of us. But let's just say a couple steps down the ladder, people started feeling pretty good about themselves. They were all in private debt together because that's what neoliberalism does, because there is no alternative. You can only take out loans you can only take out bank debt you can only do these things so i want you to think about today right here right now we have a gas crisis again shades of 1970s coming back inflation we haven't seen since the 70s coming back and back then what did they do volcker and Friedman conspired together to jack interest rates up into the 20 percentile, 20 percent, 20 upwards. And they were hoping to kill off inflation because they had been convinced, although they knew it was a lie. Milton Friedman knew it was a lie, okay? But it's an ideological point of view. It's intentional. It's neoliberalism's crowning jewel that if the government were to spend money, what would the private sector do after all? We need the private sector to want to do these things. We need the private sector to have freedom. We need the private sector to have no regulations, no nothing, to be carte blanche, to be laissez-faire, to be able to do whatever they want because that is the only alternative. And so by killing credit, by doing all kinds of other crazy shit, they convinced themselves that they had done the job. But what had really happened? There was a peace accord. <laughs> Funny how that works out. And all of a sudden, OPEC changed its ways and stopped using Petro Wars to keep us in this horrible state of affairs. Here we are today, flash forward. Very, very similar, right? 
The only difference is, is that what does the government have? What are the choices the government has? Oh, well, you know what, guys? I'm so sorry, but, you know, the OPEC oil, it's just going to be this price. Maybe we'll shop for it somewhere else. Maybe we'll ask somebody else. Maybe we'll go to Venezuela, see if they'll forget all the crap we've done to them and see if they'll be cool with selling us oil for a while until we get back on our feet or whatever, right? That's one thing they're trying to do. The other thing is drill, baby, drill. We're going to go ahead and drill in the United States. But wait a minute. We have already uncorked massive amounts of fuel under the ground. And we've given out leases and we've given out permits to go out there and drill, drill, drill. We're talking about an area, a landmass in the United States, the size of the state of Georgia has been given to oil companies to drill in. We've got pipelines that we that have come throughout the country. We've got all this infrastructure there for oil and gas. But guess what? We're only getting 3% of our oil from Russia. 3%, folks. So why are the prices so high here if we were just getting it from Russia? And if we just gave up a, a state of georgia size amount of drilling permits? Why is that? The United States has massive strategic reserves. We certainly could do something, right? We could have always invested in renewables and we could be energy independent for real, right? We could do a lot of different things, right? But instead, the ideological taint of neoliberalism, this word is very important to understand. They do not want government intervention. They do not want price controls. They do not want the government subsidizing or having a tax holiday on gas, eliminating some of the costs to the people, or quite frankly, subsidizing it directly to make sure that we, the people, don't have any issues, that it's invisible to us, that we artificially keep those prices low until we can rectify our supply chains on fuel. They don't do that. Why not? The minute the government inserts itself, well, the government's suddenly doing something for us, right? And that's not laissez-faire because business is king of all. Business should be able to dictate what's good for its bottom line because the only thing businesses have to worry about in this world is how to increase profits in the neoliberal framework. That's the only responsibility business has is to maximize shareholder value. That's it. They have rights. They can vote. They have free speech, apparently. They're people, all this stuff. But the only responsible, the only corporate responsibility that they have, apparently, is to maximize shareholder value. So when you see us freeing up all this land and all these permits for drilling, That should easily offset 3% of our imports from Russia, right? I mean, we, we, we have very little that we import from Ukraine or anywhere else over there. So their, their problems are not our problems in the sense of the real story here, right? And more importantly, we, we the people, we the government, we don't really drill for oil. That's not really what we do. We procure oil from outside sources but we don't 
commandeer and nationalize fuel. We don't even have an energy policy in the United States. Do you understand? We don't even have an energy policy in the United States. Why is that? Because if you're a libertarian, you believe that tax is force. Oh, let me just show this. Thank you so much, Double K. This was really huge. Really, really appreciate this big time. Thank you so much. Um, but if you don't realize that this is an ideological thing, this is not anything other than standing against that wall that I told you about. And that wall is there is no alternative. And there is no alternative, meaning that the oil companies can do whatever they want to maximize shareholder profit. And the free market will work itself out. We'll either stop buying gas, we'll stop driving. Some of these things are not a horrible thing because quite frankly, you'd like to see us limit our carbon footprint. But come to find out that we only really limited our carbon footprint for all the time we were shut down during the COVID crisis. We only really mitigated 8%, I think it was, something like that, 8% difference in the carbon footprint. It's not nearly enough to become carbon neutral or to really turn back the clock. The clock was still moving even during COVID. We didn't even realize it because, well, we easily distracted, right? But they aren't distracted. They know these things. So when you think about it in Biden or Obama, Obama was bragging, bragging. If you saw my appearance on Status Quo last night, they played a clip of Obama bragging about how he was basically the oil king, how he was the pumper of all things. We became the number one petroleum producer on Obama's watch. That doesn't mean we had energy independence in this country because the oil companies themselves were shipping it out. They were exporting it. Well, this year, we are going to be a net oil importer. A net oil importer. And yet we freed up all this fracking space all the fracking that's going on around in the United States, and we're still going to be a net importer of oil. That just doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense at all. But this is what happens when you allow big business to control your actions. When you allow big business to control your government, when you allow big lobbyists of big business to weigh in, and make sure you know that if you don't do this, we'll primary you, or worse, you won't get funding next time, right? Or we'll fund your competition, or we'll donate to the other party. This is if you believe all this electoral stuff is like a real thing and not like a theatrical performance led to believe, make us believe that we have some say-so by casting a ballot. If you really believe that, cool. Cool story, bro. You know, to me, I'm looking at this from the vantage point of somebody who understands neoliberalism and neoliberalism's taint on our society. It goes back a long, long way. Since the 60s, libertarians have been doing, it, actually probably even before that, I mean, fuck, going way back, right? But definitely in the time of Milton Friedman and the Mount Pelerin Society, these guys, the Chicago school had one thing and one thing only on their minds. And that was to repeal all the benefits, whatever they were, of the New Deal. 
to literally strip away all the benefits of the New Deal. Because as you see in today's society, as we export neoliberalism around the globe and try to dismantle the public space of the NHS in England and the uh, healthcare system in Australia and other places around the world, you realize that this is the business model. And they've been highly successful at organizing around this going back to the 60s. They have gotten governors in office. They have worked at the grassroots level, state by state, with this kind of thinking. Okay. One of the very few times state by state makes sense. Okay. Where these guys, these 10th Amendment folks, have gone out there and filled the courts with people that are like minded neoliberals. They have filled the institutions by hiring the deep state as neoliberals into every aspect of our government, down to your local level. The people that are unelected that run these things, the people that are in the parties that are unelected that run these things, they're neoliberal. The people that are in the Federal Reserve are neoliberal. The people in the Treasury are neoliberal. The people at every stop along the way are neoliberal. They have one agenda. They were hand-selected as people that will place business ahead of people, ahead of planet, ahead of anything that includes our survival. So if you watch the trajectory, the happy dance that Milton Friedman and Volcker were able to do with Maggie Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, you had the empire of empires right there against the Cold War. Now let me talk about this for a minute. Russia, for all the propaganda we have been fed over the years, okay, Russia was trying to defend itself. Remember where Russia came from. Russia was a peasant society in the 1800s even. The czarist Russia, these were people that were peasants largely. And as time went on and the Bolshevik Revolution took place, right in the heels of World War I and all the depravity that came from that, you see, Russia had to do something very different to stay afloat before they got picked apart by Germany, before they got picked apart by the Allies and all the rest of them. They had to get themselves built up. And so you had Lenin, for all of his warts based on the history books, he had a lot of bad decisions he had to make. He had a lot of tough calls he had to make, good or bad, to get them moving, to get from that agrarian peasant society to a modern society capable of operating with enemies all around them, enemies within and enemies without. Now, the history books are replete, just completely, history books are full of shit, right? They're told by the victor and the United States, the history books have been tainted in such a way that all you see are stars and bars and strong chins and friggin' salutes and, you know, lots of, romantic songs country i'm proud be american where at least i know i'm free and all that good stuff right these colors don't run there boy colors don't run right they put this stuff in there this jingoism this rugged individualism because that's what makes the usa great john wayne apple pie and war and we've got the best military, we've got the best this, the biggest, the baddest, you know, our monster trucks, whatever, you name it. Big, bad, you know, smoky, puff of coal, you name it, right? And so this rugged individualism maxed out 
through this libertarian construct. And this libertarian construct was get yours. Nobody going to give it to you. You go get yours. And when you're looking around and you don't have a lot of education and you've been propagandized and you know that if there is eight dogs and four bones, four dogs aren't going to get a bone. So you better hurry up and get yours, right? That's the mindset, the scarcity mindset of the neoliberal project. And so then the people at the bottom clash, they hate each other. You got Eidos who has so many things that are good about them, but they got one disgusting thing. And that right there is this anti-immigrant thing. And it's not because they're disgusting, it's because they have been propagandized into believing there is no alternative. So the concept of immigrants taking your jobs, immigrants taking your place in society, immigrants stepping on you, immigrants, these are purposeful neoliberal constructs to keep the working class from ever uniting in class struggle against the man, okay? It's just right there for you, right there in black and white, right there for you. And so when you look at Biden, you're like, well, why can't you give student debt away? Why can't you make college free? Well, if the government makes college free, then however will employers discipline labor? However will employers be able to force you to do something you didn't want to do? If there's a job guarantee available to you, how else can they force you into the military? There is no alternative. There is no alternative. And so instead of Biden coming up with one of a bazillion alternatives, making his case right now in front of the American people, folks, I realize that we are far behind and that we must, we must, we must nationalize our energy policy to fight this existential crisis of climate change. We must nationalize energy today, and we're going to do X, Y, Z. He won't do it because of the ide uh, ideological proclivity for neoliberalism. Now, I want you to think about something. Private property is a bit of a jail cell, isn't it? For those of you who own a home, it feels great when everything's going great, right? But if you have a hiccup, you have a problem in your life. You can't make a payment. You start going into that trap, that debt trap. Now you start getting fines, fees, and penalties added on top of your missed payment. Well, you would have made the payment if you had the fucking money, right? But no, they're going to go ahead and add some penalties to it because after all, you couldn't pay it before. Why won't you be able to pay it now with an extra couple hundred on top, right? And then it just keeps adding up and adding up. And then they've conditioned you and me to go, you should have made better choices. Steve, how come you're struggling financially? You've got two master's degrees. Whatever the hell's wrong with you, you must be making bad choices. And they've conditioned us all to look at each other with that side eye. Why are you getting over? Because there is no alternative. Why are you stealing my hard-earned tax dollars? Because there is no alternative. There is no public money. Remember Maggie Thatcher? There is no public money. There's only taxpayer money. There is no alternative. 
And we've been lied to for so long that when you tell a friend that you're on financial hardship, you're having tough times, everybody kind of gives you a little bit of a wide berth because they have tough times too, right? And they got to take care of their own. There are a few angels out there. I'll leave them silent, but they know I'm looking at you and I love you and I thank you for all your help. But I want to be crystal clear. The angels are few and far between, and that's no way of handling governance. We can't all hope and pray for some rich person or some nice benevolent person to save us from the destruction that is neoliberalism. And so we end up silently dying because we're ashamed, we're embarrassed to say, I need help. Because after all, it had to be something you did wrong, right? You fucked up, man. Why'd you buy that car? You fucked up. Why'd you buy that house? You fucked up. Why did you get your kids a nice present for their birthday? You fucked up, man. Now you fucked up. We keep each other in this state where we're hating life. And then you know that if you don't keep that job going, fucking hatchet is coming right behind you like this. And if you're having a really bad nightmare where your feet are stuck in concrete and you're running in slow motion, and you see the demon hammer coming down to crush you. That's that terror, that cold chill that runs through your body, that neoliberalism kicks you in your ass and tells you there is no alternative. There is no alternative. I'm sad that we still feel like we have to look at that wall. I'm sad that we haven't taken the time to turn our head to the left or the right to see what the alternatives are. I'm sad that our media still continues to preach to us like there's only the wall in front of us. I'm sad that many of my alternative media friends continue to just say what the problems are and never tell you what the solutions are. I'm sad that they refuse, refuse to be effective and learn economics. I'm sad that they don't understand neoliberalism and they don't see it in themselves in Bitcoin, and they don't see it in themselves in all these other investor-grade bullshit things that keep coming up. Now, let me tell you one of the most important things that really, really came to be through this process of digging into this stuff for myself. There is aspirational goals, goals that you have that are going to require intermediate steps to get to. It's not incrementalism. It's called planning. It's called making sure that the real resources are available when you need them. If you call that incrementalism, bust yourself in the forehead with your fist. It's not incrementalism. You've got to lay the tracks to be able to do these things. Healthcare, we've talked about it many times. I'll talk about it again. You must have the infrastructure there to be able to provide services you claim healthcare as a right. Well, think about what a neoliberal perspective of healthcare as a right is. Healthcare is a right to the individual that wants healthcare. You have a right to healthcare. Well, the neoliberal will look at you and say, well, why do I have to honor your right? I'm an individual. I don't want to give you care. That's your libertarian, Murray Rothbard, typical LOL-bertarian belief system. That's force. So ideologically speaking, the idea of providing rights to people, anything is a right, requires that someone else provide it, even if the government's paying for it. 
And so these individuals have an ideological proclivity to say, no, government, you can't do that. I don't want government involved in this. And this is why you see all these progressives that have flipped over and become these LOL libertarians, the I've done my research gang, that have now sidled up to these libertarians and giving them air cover and making them feel like they're part of the fam, okay? These guys over here are not preaching to them about economics. They're not changing the narrative there. And the selfishness and the myopic belief system of my body, my choice, no, 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 you can't make me, no, no, no. It's really not about that to them. It's really about the fact that the government can't mandate anything. It can't dictate anything. And that includes healthcare. That includes energy policy. That includes schools. That includes everything, top to bottom. There is no alternative. They want a government so weak and so feckless that you can drown it in a shot glass. But they want that police force armed to the gills, ready to kill anybody that comes in and steals a loaf of bread out of their fridge, breaking and entering, kill them. Castle doctrine, kill them. Private property, kill them. Private property, kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them. But private property, like I was saying, is a bit of a jail cell, isn't it? And this is why. You see ranchers, you see different farmers. What do they do? They had slaves because they couldn't maintain it. And when you took away the slaves, they had to have other slaves because they sure as hell couldn't deal with that. And so rather than not have private property, rather than give it to the public, rather having it so everyone can do it, and so we don't have to worry about how we divide your estate at the end of your life. So we could pass on some nice things to our kids, but not the stuff, not the public property. Leave the public property for the public, right? Instead of that, we've created this idea that if I'm one acre up the road and the, the river runs through it, I can dam that river and reroute it away from your property. And what if you depended on that river to feed your livestock or, or serve as the water supply for your family? Too fucking bad. Private property. The river ran through my property. I chose what to do with the river. Oh, what if the guy up the river at the top decides to do the same thing to you? Oh, well, it's his private property. He can do what he wants. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think people do. I think people get parts of it. I don't think you realize how pernicious this mindset is. How deeply interwoven it is into every fabric of our society. And that's why when Joe Biden looks feckless and he goes, we're going to invest and we're going to do this and we're going to, the one thing that the government can do is these public-private partnerships that they love, these neoliberal public-private partnerships, where they fatten up some fat cat, give them money to run what should be public space to begin with. And then they charge a fee. You see this with parking, you see it with roadways, you see it with all kinds of stuff, right? You see it with stadiums, owners. We're going to subsidize it with taxpayer dollars. We're going to get taxpayer bonds to build a football stadium because it's going to be great, right? Well, who owns that stadium when it's all said and done, right? 
Anyway, the idea that we need rich people and we need their money to pay for things is a lie that the rich tell us. Because when you have everything, what do you need? You need to be a God. You want to be a God. You want to be celebrated for being Bill Gates, being benevolent and giving money or giving vaccines or whatever. What happens when somebody wants it for free and they want to try and make a law to do it? Hey, that's my private property. That's my patent, my patent rights, damn it. You don't have a right to my patent, Shrekly. You don't have a right to my patent. I'll charge whatever I want for insulin because it's private property. It's mine. I don't care if you need it to live. My desire for profit exceeds your desire to live. Believe me, I want profit, right? So this brings us to the present. What does the IMF, what does NATO do? They are all about preventing that scourge of socialism from invading the world. And they work hand in glove together. The World Trade Organization, the International Monetary Fund, are there to provide loans with structural adjustments that you must take on. All this neoliberal, there is no alternative perspective. You must fundamentally change your entire society to be okay with clearing the runway for multinationals to come in and extract and enslave your country. And that's the story. That's the deal. And so even right now, the conflict in Russia and Ukraine, it doesn't take much to understand beyond, oh my God, it's neo-Nazis this, oh my God, and it's all important, but it's not the why, folks. Here's the thing about capital that you gotta get through your head. Capital doesn't give a flying fuck if you hate somebody. Capital doesn't give a flying fuck if you wanna see certain people dead. Capital doesn't give a fuck about any of that. Capital only understands extraction and maximizing profits. If you wanna get on your haunches and talk about how capital is you know, some good thing and it's, you're, you're fucked. And the neo-Nazi stuff in Ukraine and all that stuff, while it's certainly disturbing and it's certainly horrible in its own right, it's not the underlying why, no matter how many times people want to tell you it is, because that's that low-level fruit, the neoliberal bad guy, good guy. I don't like your looks. I don't like your language. I don't like your skin color. I don't like your gender. I don't like who you're fucking and sucking. I don't like who you're doing. I don't like whatever. That's neoliberal identity politics 101. I don't like the Mexicans coming up here. They do, I don't like these people doing this. The Jews, whatever. It's always somebody. There's always a scapegoat waiting to happen with neoliberalism because it's the veneer, the blocker. It's the shade that they cast to block you from seeing the private property grab, the market clearing, the preparation for the neoliberal regime to do its thing, to run its game. And they're all in on it. They're not just all in on it. This is the system. It's not even a conspiracy, folks. It's like one of those secrets that you just out there in plain sight that you didn't understand because you were too busy staring at that wall, that one wall right in front of your face. You couldn't see past it. And it's not your fault. 
they've spent bazillions of dollars controlling the narrative. They have enlisted every psychologist in the world to come up with strategies for messaging. Think tanks out the wazoo that are funded way better than real progressives is funded to counter it, by the way, which reminds me, maybe you should think about funding what we do so we can get a message out there. If you know people that are talking like this, they're doing it better than me, fund them, please. But if you think what I'm doing here is worth your time, and you think what I'm saying needs to be heard by others, and I think it does, or I wouldn't be doing it, please consider becoming a donor. We're not like the others. We're not trying to sell memberships. We're a nonprofit, and we're trying desperately to get these messages out there so that we can change minds, hearts and minds, so that they're prepared for a Medicare for all, so that they're prepared for a Green New Deal, so they're prepared for stopping war as a means of counter-cyclical Keynesian uh, you know, economics. Every time there's a downturn, let's start a fucking war, right? Well, that's your alternative because you believe that war is okay. Somehow you don't realize that war is not some patriotic thing. You know those two little round things you see from space on Earth? No, that is not Zelensky's nuts because he's fucking, you know, some badass hero with a you know, superhero costume with a chin going out Laney Riefenstahl style. Laney Riefenstahl was the chief propagandist of Hitler. Okay, for those that don't know these things, that's who it is. Laney Riefenstahl. She did all those freaking glorious uh, propaganda videos where you saw lines upon lines of goose-stepping Nazis and flags flying at little kids with blonde hair and blue eyes, boys from Brazil style, sitting there sick-hiling, sick-hiling, and they're all showing the family and they're loving each other and great Aryan nation that they were, right? That's the propaganda machine. And until we have a, 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 a people that are not just hyperbolic, not just out there waving their hands at all the problems, not just sitting there spending podcast, video show, freaking panel discussion, owning shit libs. Until we get past owning shit libs and realizing this is part of a way more than a trillion dollar industry to propagandize us into believing these neoliberal lies. Until we understand that we are all being abused, psychologically abused, made insane because we can't keep ahead of the knife. Desperate because we don't know what the fuck's going on around us. But when you understand and you take your eyes away from the wall and you realize there's so much more out there and there are solutions. And I come from a school of thought called modern monetary theory that helps us evaluate, has a superior lens to understanding these systems. When you understand this stuff, you can each one teach one. You can each one reach one. And we can begin to organize to nurse. Because how many of you all have tried to talk about these things with people and you get zero likes? They're over there with the clickbait crap. Such and such demystified like, right? All the clickbait titles like all the strident videos that lead you off to a bridge to nowhere. But damn it, you feel really good and in the know because you got to own a shit lib, right? Like, like, like. Folks, information that we're talking about right now 
is very vital, very important. It's absolutely important. We've got 42 people watching right now. 42. Thank you for being here, 42 people. But you see some of these shitty shows that don't say anything. They're just a bunch of hand-waving and laughing and mocking and owning shit libs. They got three, four, five hundred people watching. The propaganda machine, it doesn't care if it says it's progressive or leftist. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And the powers that be, when we're talking the wrong shit and they don't, they're like, fuck, man, they're, they're, they've, they've taken themselves off the ranch. We don't have to worry about them now. They're, they're, they're fighting shadows. Go, go fight those shadows, please. When you're hovering over and you're really starting to get the point across about public and private ownership, and you're getting the idea of real citizens benefits and what that would entail and how that violates the concept of libertarian thinking the whole there is no alternative maggie thatcher ronald reagan turned obama turned biden turned clinton turned w well w was always one but you get my point when you understand the neoliberal regime is ruthless, cunning, and has been doing this for a long time. There are some people, there are some people, and they're in academia, and I love them, but they will try to make it out to be that a lot of this is just, people just didn't know any better. And I believe that to some degree. But I believe there's enough people that do know that this isn't an innocent fraud, that this is a murder by proxy, a murder by policy, a murder by ideology. And it's a murder that many of my friends in my own backyard celebrate Ma Margaret Thatcher. They think she's Jesus Christ in woman form. Until we are able to let people realize that neoliberalism is the name of the game and we must fight it. It is not just a slang term for Democrats, folks. And once you, hearing what I've said today, and you hear people just throw the term neoliberal as if they're talking about a Democrat. And yes, Democrats tend to be neoliberal, but they think of them as just, it's just a corporate Democrat. That's all it equals to them as a corporate Democrat. It is so much more than that. And you must understand that it's so much more than that to effectively fight back against the ideology. That's why when you see the people sidling up with libertarians, and acting like they're fellow travelers, and you don't realize that you're really sleeping with the enemy there. This ideological enemy, may not human enemy, but ideological enemy. We run the risk of inviting the vampire through the threshold to rip apart the fabric. Now, I'm a revolutionary dude. The conditions are such that people rise up, the contradictions are such they want to have a revolution. I'll be there with you. That's not happening because you still don't realize neoliberalism is the fight here. You keep using this nebulous term capitalism. It's like wave your hand capitalism. Capitalism is very different today than it was in the days of Eugene V. Debs. Capitalism is very different than the one that Marx experienced when he was doing his writing in Engels. 
The things that they wrote about were great to inform us, but we must analyze because it was a scientific method. Marxism is a scientific theory, a scientific evaluation. For all its warts and different things that people can pick, pick, pick apart, if you look at today and you realize the very material conditions of our today, of our society today, and the contradictions held within, you realize that we have different choices to make because we have a different set of real things happening to us. Real new systems of production are changing the way we have society. Automation shouldn't be our enemy. It should work for all of us instead of the few. But instead, we're watching a reclamation project of feudalism, neo-feudal state that is the pinnacle of neoliberalism. It is the apex. It is the alpha predator of neoliberalism. It is it is the shining star on the hill of owning everything while the little people scurry to do the work. Back in the early days, when I say early days, I'm talking about as Rome was declining, there were those who prayed, those who fought, and those who worked. Those were the three classes. Shortly thereafter, during the plague, you had a fourth class, which was the merchant class. But those four classes right there had some harmony back then. Back then, before all the automation, back then, before all this stuff, there was a little bit of harmony there. Wouldn't call it great, but there was some harmony. The people that prayed really cared about each other. The people that worked for everyone else knew that the things that they were doing were vital for the community to survive. And the warriors that died for them to keep the, uh, you know, the, the city together, they knew that they were defending them. Back then, that was kind of the way it worked. But as you got further down, you realize that those who fought became fewer and fewer, and they were rich. And those who prayed leached off of those who worked, and it became out of balance and funky. And all of a sudden, the peasants became much broader, much larger, and they were living in subsistence it was divided into three the, the, these guys got their heavy share these guys got their heavy share and these guys had to split all of that we are living in a reclamation of the neo-feudal actually of feudal society we don't even realize it because we can flip on netflix we can binge watch stuff on amazon we don't even realize it but the life you're le leading and the life I'm leading and the life we're all leading right now can only be understood by first understanding neoliberalism and its effect and taint on all of us. And then the flip side is to realize that the opposite of this is public property. It's public money. It's public purpose. It's collectivism. It's not rugged individualism. And until we shake that, we're going to be living in a state of precarity that none of us want to live in. And I think to myself when I say these things, how many people actually think that I'm full of shit and think they're going to fight with me or you know, have some sort of weird debate? If you think what I'm saying here, now I'm a former Republican, folks. Hell, I am a former libertarian. I was an Ayn Rand acolyte. I was a ditto head with Rush Limbaugh, folks. You hear me talking about public property? 
<laughs> That's what happens when you learn, when you don't stay stuck, when you turn away from the wall and you realize, wow, there's a shit ton of possibilities out there, isn't there? There's a shit ton of possibilities. And you start realizing anarchists want no boss, no rules, no hierarchies, no borders, no nothing. Michael Albert, give this man credit. If y'all don't know who Michael Albert is, look him up. He's got a great book out called No Bosses. He's an anarchist. He's a friend of Noam, but he's further left than Noam Chomsky by far. <laughs> by far. He's definitely the farthest reaches of the anarchist cycle. But he, even he says, given the climate crisis we have today, we desperately need the hierarchy. We desperately need that command economy. We need bold action today taken by the state. Taken by the state. Because if you leave it to private business, we're going to die. They won't do what needs to be done until it's too late. So. We have to make government be we the people again. I don't think that's going to happen at the ballot box. I'm just being honest with you. We don't have the arms and we don't have the ability and we don't have the numbers to make the other thing happen. There's no Bolshevik revolution happening anytime soon. That means we got to do something different. That means we got to look around today at what we have and what we can do, organize around what we can do. And maybe we use direct action. Maybe we use labor. Maybe we use uh, unionization. Maybe we use nonprofits like this. Maybe we use other groups to work together hand in glove to fight this. But it's not going to happen until we embrace the knowledge that neoliberalism is baked into everything. Your comic books, everything, your Bible, <laughs> though not as a Bible, but preaching that goes on in there. Usually they're two different things. Bible says this, they're up there saying something. You're like, what the fuck? Did I just walk into a, a Peter Drucker story talking about makers and takers with Ayn Rand? Or was this supposed to be a church here? So I tell you this because we need to be able to stand up. Oh, I like that. Yes, here, I'm going to put this up there, man. This is my words. I say this all the time. We've got to build parallel systems. We must do this. We must do this. So anyway, listen, folks, I am going to try and get myself out of here because it's coming up on my work day. So with that, I am going to thank you so much, and I am going to get us out of here. Please check out this Saturday's podcast, Macro and Cheese. And also, we have a harm reduction, uh, harm reduction uh, uh, webinar that we're supporting. You'll see it on our webpage. You'll see it out there on our Facebook pages. You'll see it on our Twitter feed. Please, it's to stop all the overdosing. Please check out this webinar, okay? And with that, I'm Steve Grumbine, and I believe I am out of here. 
The Rogue Scholar is a production of Real Progressives. If you would like to support our work, please visit patreon.com slash realprogressives.